You just missed a home run. I missed out on an incredible deal you were offering at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. It just started. You can get beautiful Pella Windows and pay no interest for four years. Visit PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Okay, so Mike Spaulding, mm-hmm. I would imagine from time to time, you get invited to like participate in things, and sometimes you look at it and you say, okay, do I want to go? And sometimes it's, yeah, I really want to go. And sometimes it's, well, I'm kind of on the fence. And sometimes it's now I'm, I'm kind of not interested. Do you ever have those sort of things? Yeah, usually it's the latter for me, but sometimes I'll get the former where I'm interested. Yeah. Well, well, right. So, and, and, um, in large part because I'm married to a woman who has lots and lots of friends. We get invited to all these different social things and stuff. It, it's uh, more often than not, we try to find reasons to say yes. So I, I enjoy. I enjoy every once in a while when one of these comes in and I know that it's just a, it's a hard pass. I mean, it's just easy. Don't even have to think of it. Okay, do you know what the Federalist Society is? Yes. Okay, the Federalist Society is it, it's a national organization, and they have a Milwaukee chapter. It's a group of conservative lawyers, um, and there's many judges who belong to the Federalist Society, and the Federalist Society has been demonized by the American left because how dare you you have conservatives who are in, in the law. So it's, but it's really a very, very mainstream organization, but it's it's people who have a certain view of the law, and it's always said the law is, it's, it's an art, it's not a science, and these are conservative uh, jurists and conservative lawyers, etc. So, just opened up, as I said, down here just opened up my mail i i have i have a an email a marketing email from dsa which is the democratic socialists of america inviting me to a procedure here it is friends please join us at red arrow park on wednesday july 27th to rally for abortion rights and to remind the federalist society members they will have no peace until we are all free Okay, The Federalist Society is directly responsible for setting back Americans' reproductive rights a generation by helping to install, I'm reading now, in the radical conservative justices who overruled 50 years of legal precedent to strike down Roe versus Wade. On July 27th at 5.30 p.m., the Federalist Society is planning to hold a summer cocktail reception in Milwaukee. Let's make them understand that their barbaric ideology is not welcome in this city or county or country city or country. We must act now to ensure that members of the Federalist Society understand the consequences of their violent actions, violent actions, and to show solidarity with the vast majority of Americans who support reproductive rights. Will you join us, RSVP, on Action Network or Facebook, and we'll see you there. Solidarity, Milwaukee DSA Outreach. So, there's a cocktail party um, downtown. I'm not going to say where it is, but there's a cocktail party downtown, and apparently this group is trying to get people to show up and then presumably march to where the cocktail party is being held to, I don't know, to just make the Federalist Society members recognize their barbaric ideology is not welcome in the city or the country. You're not going to find yourself there. I, I think that, you know, like I say, sometimes it's yes or maybe then other times it's a hard pass. This one would be, I would call it a, a hard pass, I would think. Yeah. So 
<laughs> no, I yeah, and I don't. I mean, I did at one point in time when I was practicing law. I did belong to the Federal Society. I don't anymore. But um, you know, if I do, actually, we're having guests over last night. But if uh, tomorrow night. But regardless, I mean, if I had been invited to their summer cocktail reception, I would have probably gone down there and you know had a gin and tonic or something, and then kind of watched the circus. But in any event. Hard pass on me on on this particular one, but you know power power to the people. That's it. Uh, they're directly responsible. The Federal Society is directly responsible for setting back reproduction rights a generation by helping install the radical conservative justices who overruled fifty years of legal precedent. Radical conservatives is pretty much uh, maybe it's an oxymoron. Their barbaric ideology is not welcome in this city or this country. Ho hum ho hum. All right. Here's it. It this story is now making international news, and the facts are still out. But this is one where it's going to be a very very difficult call for the district attorney. If you haven't been following the story, the the Senate Minority Leader Democrat. Her name is Janet. Uh, Bewley, B-E-W-L-E-Y, she's from from Mason, which is in far northwestern Wisconsin, and, and she's not running for re-election. Um, she is 70 years old. Um, if you haven't heard the story, and like I say, this has now become international news, here's what the Ashland Police Department says. On Friday, July 22nd, at uh, about 12.26 p.m., Ashland County Dispatch received multiple 911 calls of a multiple vehicle accident on U.S. Highway 2 Lakeshore Drive near Turner Road in the city of Ashland. The police and the fire department responded. The preliminary investigation showed that the accident occurred when a vehicle driven by Janet Booley, age 70, of Mason, Wisconsin, pulled out from the entrance of Maslowski Beach to turn east onto highway, U.S. Highway 2. That vehicle collided with a vehicle that was westbound on U.S. 2, driven by a 27-year-old woman of Clearfield, Pennsylvania. The vehicle then spun that vehicle, so the vehicle driven by the 27-year-old from Clearfield, gets hit by the car driven by the Senate Minority Leader. That vehicle then spins across the highway and is struck by an eastbound vehicle driven by a 45-year-old woman from Mason, Wisconsin. Um, Alyssa Ortman was transported to the Memorial Medical Center where she died of her injuries. Her five-year-old daughter was pronounced dead at the scene. Um, they're now you know, in, investigating this particular situation. So what you have is the Senate Minority Leader pulls out and it, it's okay the, the way this is being described is she she pulls out and collides with a, a vehicle which tells me she probably did not have the right of way in the situation hits that vehicle the vehicle spins on the other side of the road and gets hit by a car going the other way and the driver of the vehicle that was hit by the 70 year old senate minority leader and the 27 year old woman and the five-year-old kid are, are dead the the dazzling details about this that make it even more complicated is apparently she's on the phone she being the senate minority leader doing an interview about the elections with an intern the from the journal sentinel she's on she's talking on the phone at the time she 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 pulls out and there is this collision so she's yakking on the phone she then tells the journal sentinel uh, reporter who's actually an intern that she had just had cataract surgery the day before so 
She's driving a day after cataract surgery. She's talking on the phone, and she pulls out, and she hits the, this vehicle, or there's a collision. And again, I'm assuming she hit the vehicle, and they're, they're ultimately going to make the determination about who had the right of way. But based on what this sounds like, if you know, you're know you pulling onto a, a main road, you've got to yield to the cars that are coming the other way. But, I mean, they'll ultimately make that decision. But as a result of this, two people are, are dead. You know, the story about this, you know, a, again, as she's having the conversation after – She's in the middle of the conversation. There's this impact. The way the Journal Sentinel says, um, all of a sudden she stops talking on, on the phone, and uh, the call goes silent. When the intern says, um, are you still in the line? She says, um, yeah, um, I'm okay. This is not a good accident. Now, I bring this up because it's always difficult in these situations to determine you know, how how you handle a situation like this, namely, if somebody is at fault. Some, I mean, look, sometimes sometimes automobile collisions and accidents just happen, and, and it's not always the fault of a particular driver. You know, sometimes you'll be in a situation where somebody will dart out, some, a kid will dart out from between two cars, and there's nothing the driver can do to avoid hitting them. It's always a very tough decision about, you know, is it something that you give somebody a ticket for for reckless driving or um, do you look at what is the criminal charge, which is homicide by negligent operation of a motor vehicle? Now, I, I don't prejudge this particular case at all. But this matter is clearly going to go to the district attorney's office, and now you have a, a prominent local politician who's going to and you're going to have to look at all the facts of this. And again, the the accident reconstruction is going to be underway. But you know, you have a situation where okay, somebody who's had cataract surgery the day before, who's talking on on a telephone while this happens, and who pulls out into traffic. And if it is true that she did not have the right of way, and it, again. The, the investigation will determine that, but if it's determined that her conduct was responsible for causing this collision and ultimately leading to the death of this 27-year-old woman and the 5-year-old girl, then it lands on the district attorney's office to have to decide, what do you do with this? Do you simply say, okay, this is a civil matter, there'll be lawsuits and that'll be, and we'll work that out, or do you say that the conduct rose to such a level that it constitutes um, negligent homicide by negligent operation of a motor vehicle. And it, it's, it's all comes down to a question of what, how negligent was the driver and what is in fact the level. But this is going to end up on, in the lap of the, the district attorney. I think it would be for like Bayfield County, I believe, but it's going to land on the district, the decks, the desk of the district attorney up there. And it'd be interesting to see how this whole thing plays out and whether the DA's office, again, depending on what the investigation shows, whether the DA's office keeps it or whether they decide it under the circumstances, the decision should be made by a special prosecutor or something like that. But the bottom line is not good, not not good, no matter how you cut it. When we come back, I did something this morning. I want to share that story with you and then ask a question which, well, a lot of you are probably going to disagree with me on. Stick around. A number of people are asking why this story is not getting more attention. And I think it's probably just because, first of all, this happened in northwestern Wisconsin. And, and secondly, because they're, they're still accumulating the facts. There, there is no question, though, that if this were 
say, um, Senate Majority, uh, um, House Re- Ma- Assembly Ma- Majority Leader Robin Voss, that this would be a, a front-page story if he was involved in something like this. Time will will tell. It, it is interesting. Again, we're getting a lot of text on this. We can all probably relate to this. I've told this story before. I remember in, in college. I'm in college, and I was on the, our college debate team, and one weekend we had off. So myself and a number of my teammates and a girlfriend, we were all hired to judge a, a high school debate tournament. So we were going to make some money and stuff. So I had the, the car I had my first or two, year or two in college was it was a 1970 <clears throat> Chrysler Newport, which was it was a land yacht. This was this was like a really big car. But you, you could put six or seven people in the car. You could cram into it. So it's an early Saturday morning and I'm driving down the, these two lane roads in Iowa, of all things. And I, I'm I hit this 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 glare ice and the car, I lose control, and the car just just spins around and spins around, and everybody's cheering. Oh, this is great! You know, finally, I get control of of the car. But it was really interesting because ten seconds later, there's a bread truck. I'll never forget an old home bread that that's coming the other way and in the other lane. And to this day, I remember this vividly. I just remember this vividly because if that if that the driver of that bread truck had had left. If, if he had not stopped for an extra sip of coffee or hadn't stopped to, to kiss his, his kid, you know, on the fore, uh, forehead before he, he went out the door, if he had been 10, if it had been 10 seconds earlier, instead of me sitting, you know, decades later telling the story on the radio, that the story is six or seven college kids dead on a, on a highway because, I mean, I had completely lost control of the car. I, I think it sounds to me like that's what, what happened here. And again, they're doing the accident investigation, but, the the state senator pulls out, I think has contact with a, a car that's, you know, in, in the lane where she's pulling into. The contact causes the 27-year-old woman who's driving the vehicle to lose control of her car. She spins, crosses into another lane, and gets hit by, you know, traffic that's going the other way. I think that's what's going to show that happened. And, again, there, there's be time to figure out the accident reconstruction stuff. But just it's one of these, these things that, in some respects, it's kind of freaky because my guess is you could have had that collision nine times out of ten, and if there wasn't another car coming the other way at precisely that moment, well, you, you don't have the, the horrible tragedy that you have in this case, but the, the investigation will bring that out. Okay, so this morning, today is the first day that you can early vote, you know, the early absentee voting. And as I frequently say on this program, I love I love election days. I love going and I love voting in person. Uh, this, for the primary election that's coming up on August 9th, I can't do it because we're leaving a week from today for our listener trip to Alaska. So I'm leaving on the 2nd. I don't come back until the, the 10th, and the primaries on the 9th. So if we want to vote, you, you had to you had to early vote or absentee vote by mail. So I just, you know, I don't know how you are before you're getting ready to go on a vacation or something, but I, I have this, like, checklist of stuff that I'm kind of, like, crossing off the list. So I said to my wife this morning, Let, let's go over to City Hall and let's let's vote. Just get it out of the way and get it done. So we, we do. And we, we got there, I think it opened about eight o'clock. We got there about nine o'clock in the morning and there, there were only, there's one person in front of us who was voting, but that's okay. I don't, I don't take any perspective. I don't know if it's going to be big or little or whatever. It had only been open for about an hour, an hour and a half. And what they do, you go up to the clerk, you show them your ID. They then, you know, go on their computer and they see that, you know, you're, you're registered to vote. You tell them your name. You give your address. And they check that you're registered to vote. They look at your, in my case, my driver's license. 
And then they give you the, the ballot and they give you an envelope, which is, I think, pretty much the same thing as if you would have requested it by mail. So then you go over to this little carol and you stand there and they've got the, the pens that are there and you, you vote. And then you fold up the ballot, you put it in the envelope, you don't seal it, and you fill out the outside of the envelope. You put your name on there, you put your address in this case, the, the village was already stamped on there. There's a space for the zip code, and then then you sign it and you date it, and you, you bring it back to the, the clerk. That's the process. And then the clerk, filled, she, the, the lady checks it to make sure that everything is filled in, and then she writes whatever she writes, like the witness certification, and then she seals it, she puts it in the envelope. And, and so presumably the ballot will, will be counted. Um, I understand. Now, if you're doing what I did, the early in-person voting, you have you have the clerk that's going to look at the outside of that that envelope that you are returning and you're right there. If you've forgotten to fill something out, they're going to call your attention to it, right? They're going to they're going to say, "No, you're right there in person. You need to to fill this out." If on the other hand, you've done you're doing this by mail or you you're just uh, again, you're, you're returning it, but you're, well, if you're doing it by mail or you're returning it to a drop box that is, that is manned, but there's not somebody that's looking at the outside of the ballot. There's nobody to review the outside of the ballot to make sure that you've properly filled in everything. I understand why the ballot needs to be signed. I understand why the ballot needs to be dated, you know, so you know that you're doing it, you know, you're, you're, and they've got the date up there, so they make sure that you know you're voting when the early voting is allowed. But at the same time, I, I, I can see why somebody would not would just forget to fill in the zip code, for example. And you know when they did an audit of some of the 2020 ballots and they looked at the absentee ballots to the extent they had problems, the vast majority of the ballots that they had problems with were people who didn't fill in the zip code. They had their address on there, they had their community, but they didn't put in their zip code. All right, now state law says that clerks aren't supposed to make changes to the outsides of the ballot. Now the Wisconsin Elections Commission had given guidance to clerks saying, hey, if it's if it's not a, a material thing, you, you can fill in that stuff, like you can put in the zip codes. That has now been rescinded. Republicans in the legislature said, nope, that's not going to be allowed. So if you get a ballot that the, the envelope that's returned is incomplete, you can't, you can't just put in the zip code. What you have to do is you have to either return it or you have to track down the voter and, and tell them there's a problem and then figure out how to correct it. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I understand what state law says, so I'm not quibbling with that. But but here's my big picture question. Is there any reason under circumstances like I have described why clerks shouldn't be able to fill in I don't know some of the minor missing information. If you return the ballot and it's got your name and you've signed it properly and it's got your address and it's got the community, but it's lacking the zip code, why in the world shouldn't the clerk be able to fill in the zip code? Does that really, for example, protect 
against fraud. Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand what the law says, and I'm not quibbling with that. But wouldn't it make sense to change the law to allow for what I'm talking about, ministerial things? Gee, you didn't put circle or you put your address, but you didn't put avenue or street or road or circle or court, or you didn't put in your zip code. If there's no question that it's really you, why don't we just go ahead and count the ballot or let the clerk cure the problem? But when it comes to minor things like When people make mistakes on returning their absentee ballots, most times, not always, but most times it's something like failing to put in a zip code. Why shouldn't clerks be able to correct that? Well, this sucks. Alex, I I know it's way, way, way before your time, but in reruns, did you ever see Leave it to Beaver? Did I ever see Leave it to Beaver? I have not. You've never seen Leave it to Beaver? (laughs) I have not. And I'm 29 years old. It's way before your time. I mean, Leave it to Beaver ran from 1957 to 1963. Mm -hmm. Are you familiar with what it is? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it was was just just huge. Huge. And, I mean, I I ended up seeing it in reruns and stuff. Um, But, I mean, it's a huge part of pop culture. I, I bring this up because... Um, Tony Dow, who played Wally on Leave It to Beaver, the older brother, he just passed away at the age of 77, um, died of cancer. So it, this 2022 has been a, a really, really tough year on celebrities, um, especially people who were on TV in the 50s and 60s and, and 70s. But, um, yeah, I, it, it, Tony Dow was always a class guy. I met him once or twice at diff- different events and things like that. And, um, it just, I always felt bad because his, his entire career, when you're a child star like that, mm-hmm. you know, and he went on to be a producer and a director and things like that, but he was always going to be Wally Cleaver. You know, yeah. the show ended in 1963 and he was always going to be Wally Cleaver, just like Beaver Cleaver, Jerry Mathers. Mm-hmm. He's always going to be Beaver Cleaver and, you know, you're never going to be able to get past that stigma. But, um, you, you should check it out on YouTube. While, while, in, and Wally was the, the older brother and he was kind of the, he, he was sort of the, the all-American boy and stuff like that. And um, uh, Tony Dow passed away to, uh, at the age of 77 from cancer. Hey, when we come back, why can't clerks fix minor mistakes on absentee ballots? And shouldn't we have changed the law? Yeah, for people keeping track at home, uh, Ken Osmond, who played Eddie Haskell, who was, of course, the the, the sort of the I don't know the, the bad guy. He was always the kind, of, the, the kind of sneaky, conniving best friend of of, of Wally Cleaver on Beaver. Ken Osmond, uh, he passed away two years ago in 2020, and now um, Tony Dow passes away. Um, Jerry Mathers, pretty much it. Barbara Billingsley, who played the mom, she died about 12 years ago, and Hugh Beaumont, who played Ward Cleaver, he passed away decades and decades ago. So. So, again, it's, if you watch these shows in your youth, if you are a certain age, it, 2022 continues to be a really bad year for celebrity deaths. All right, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I, I don't disagree with the, the interpretation of the state law, which says that clerks aren't able or aren't allowed to make corrections on absentee ballots that are returned. My question, though, is, does does that really make any sense? I mean, if you've signed your ballot, if you've put your address in, for example, and you failed to put in the zip code, you've made a mistake, but you failed to write in the, the zip code, is that a reason for disqualifying your ballot 
why shouldn't the clerks be able to write in whatever your zip code is if everything else is there? Does this really serve to prevent voter fraud, or is this just a way of making it, I don't know, a way of disqualifying what would be otherwise valid ballots? 855-616-1620. Let's start with Lewis. Lewis, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, sorry to hear about Tony Dow. Um, yeah. I've been working central count now for three years, and we've never been instructed under any circumstances that a zip code would negate a ballot. That's never even come close to happening. But what is going on is uh, these envelopes have uh, four highlighted areas, two signatures, two addresses, uh, the address of, of the person voting, the address of the person that witnessed the, right, it, and yep. both their signature. Yep. So when we don't have addresses for the person voting or, or the person witnessing it, um, we're supposed to terminate them. That hasn't happened these past three years. Um, they We turn them in, and next year I get them back on my table an hour or two later uh, with, with them written in, uh, with signatures have been put on them. Um, this, I don't, explain to me how you can have an envelope with four yellow highlighted areas and uh, not miss them in, uh, right. not fill them in. Right, and Tina, and just that there's something going something going on that you can't fill it in. Well, right, Rand Lewis, and see, and I, I don't disagree. To me, that would be what I would describe as a material problem. You know, if, if, if it's not signed and it's not dated, well, that's obviously a, a big deal. If it doesn't have an address on it, well, then you can't tell whether the person, you know, was, was legally in the, that, you know, in that jurisdiction allowed to vote or, or whatever. So I get that. But if you look at at least the majority of the problems that they're having and the errors they're finding it's 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 like failure to put in a zip code so i guess my question is shouldn't there be untrue what do you mean that's untrue again no one's instructed me to uh reject any ballots that don't have a zip code in we have plenty of addresses without zip codes in them the address line is filled in no zip code uh we are not it has never been a problem well that's if you live at 2121 uh fred street uh milwaukee wisconsin that's it that's your address we don't haggle over uh, zip codes. That's never been an issue. Well, maybe we're maybe well, maybe where you are, Lewis. That that that's fine. But here, I mean, look, I'm I'm looking at this right now. Um, the Legislative Auto Audit Bureau did a, a, a review of the 2020 election, and they concluded. I'm I'm quoting from the report now. More than a thousand ballot certificates, or seven percent of those sampled, had partial addresses for witnesses. Most of those were missing a zip code, but some included other parts of the address. 15 lacked witness addresses entirely. That I can understand is a problem. Eight lacked witness signatures and three lacked voter signatures. I understand that that's that that's an, an issue. Okay, I, I get it, you know, if they're not signed appropriately. But for the ministerial stuff, why shouldn't the clerks be able to fill this in and because the reality is they're going to reject a lot of these I, I get it if the idea is well okay it's we we know who this person is the address is somewhat incomplete but we can tell who this person is but we're not going to count it unless we call them up and get them to fix the ballot there's a very very good chance that that ballot's not going to be fixed and the problem that i guess that i have is 
is why. What purpose are we we serving if you haven't, like I say in my example, if you haven't put in the zip code, is that is that a problem? Eight or should it be a problem? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Colleen in Waterford. Colleen, you're on WTMJ. Hey Jeff, how are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think? Well, I actually, like your previous caller, I work for a municipality, so I'm very familiar with accepting turned-in, walked-in absentee ballots, especially under, like, the past years, now that elections are under such scrutiny. When the person walks in, I double-check, I make yep. sure everything is filled in, including zip code, and I have, I actually started asking for proof of ID. Mm-hmm. Just so I make sure that Nancy, who's walking in there, is turning in Nancy's ballot. Sure, yep, yep. Yep, as opposed to dropping off somebody else's ballot. Yep, sure. Correct. And so I'll have, you know, sometimes older couples where the husband is walking in and he's trying to turn in his wife and his ballot. And unfortunately, I'm not able to take the wife's ballot because she's not there in person turning it in and we no longer have that drop off. Right, 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 right. Got it. It, For let's use my example for what is a. A minor, let, let's say, instead of the person coming in directly, they return it by mail so they don't have you there to say, sir, you didn't fill in this line or, or whatever, and correct right. it. Is, is there, do you think there would be a problem allowing where, where the thing is clearly signed, where it's clearly witnessed appropriately, but there is what I'm describing as a, as a technical issue somewhere? Um, do you think there is a problem with allowing the clerk to make that, that technical correction so you don't have to risk having the ballot tossed out? I don't believe so, because 99% of the ballots we get are from Waterford. So obviously we have the 53185 zip code. That's 90% of the time what people forget is the zip code, just like you're talking about. So I'm not, you know, forging anything. We're just filling in that little missing five digits. There's, I, I don't see there's anything wrong with that, and it's worth our. It's not worth our time to try to call and chase somebody down, right? Just to have them come back and fill in those five little digits. Well, right when there's when there's no, see, and I guess I to me there is a distinction between the in the, in the law, you know, that the phrase is like a ministerial sort of thing as opposed to something substantive. I mean, I understand if somebody hasn't signed the ballot and they haven't dated it, that's a big deal. Um, if they don't, that's very much different, right? If it comes back and it doesn't have an address on it, that that's that's a big deal. But for some of this minor stuff, and like like the legislative audit bureau found, most times it's it's zip codes and things. And I I understand what the law says, and I'm not quibbling with that. I'm just thinking, you know, maybe this is one where you need to to change it because I I don't see the purpose in throwing out people's ballots for what are really minor things, or at least generating all this extra work for clerks that really it doesn't serve to make the election any safer or prevent fraud. It's just, oh, my gosh, that idiot refu- put, failed to put his zip code on. Now i got to make phone calls or try to track him down. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with you 100%. No, no, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, again, it's, it's I, I just – See, this is one of the things, and I understand people are tech. don't you understand it's the Republicans doing it? Yeah, I, I do. And I think what we have to do is we have to recognize that absentee voting is here to stay. That's just the reality. The, the days of we're only going to have you know people voting on, on 
on election day to the extent they ever existed. I mean, I, I told this story before. First presidential election I voted in, I was in college. I mean, I, I requested an absentee ballot by mail and filled it out and sent it, sent it back in. But the days of people showing up exclusively on election day to vote are, are gone. And more and more people are taking advantage of early voting, either in person like I did today, or they're using the, the U.S. mails. And I understand that when you're you're not having that direct contact with the election clerks, there's always the potential for fraud. My only point is, Republicans, Democrats, independents, I think we need to use a degree of common sense in figuring out, okay, what, what is a rule that, that prevents fraud, and what is a rule that just doesn't make any sense, doesn't stop fraud, and all it does is make more work? Now, a number of people are saying, well, you know, what's so hard about filling out a ballot? I, I get it. I, I understand. But to all those people who have, you know, never missed a line when they filled out a particular form or never put the wrong date in when they're writing their, their checks or, or never made a mistake when they're filling out like paperwork for something like that. Well, I take my hat off to you. I, I, I do. But, you know, the reality is lots of people just they're, they're busy in their life, not making excuse for it. But sometimes they just forget to put stuff down. And if we are talking about something like a zip code where there's no question who you are, why shouldn't the clerk be able to fill that out instead of starting this whole dog and pony show to try to track down the person and say, oh, you got to come back in and you got to put in, you know, whatever your zip code is when you say, well, okay, but you know where I live, you know what the zip code is. What purpose do we serve? And that is the question that I ask. Hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. <laughs> this is the least surprising news of of the day. You might remember about a three or four years ago, there was this plan to take the old Sears store on, on North Avenue and, and back at 2100 West North Avenue. And, and back when, when we when I was growing up here, you know, and you had Sears stores all over, the, the big Sears store in the area was the one on, on North Avenue. I mean, it was, and all the other Sears stores were kind of like satellite stores. Well, Sears went out of business, and the building has been essentially vacant for the longest period of time. So a few years ago, developer comes along and wants to build what they call the Icon Hotel, wants to redevelop the building, and what they're going to do is they're going to turn this into a boutique hotel. They're going to have a conference center. The only problem, and it's going to be great for the, the black community because this is going to be, you know, right right on the heart of North Avenue. And the, the, the pitch was this was going to be a huge success story. Problem is they don't have any money to do it. The Department of City Development initially estimated the project would have an assessed value of $3.6 million. Well, the developers were looking for a $4 million loan. Now, who in their right mind would loan somebody four million dollars for a project that, when it's done, is only going to be worth three point six million? Well, okay, that's the city of Milwaukee. So then they went back and they did this. The developer does this market study and says, no, 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 it's worth a lot more than that. It's really going to be worth like ten point six million. And so the city goes ahead and loans four million bucks. Then they go ahead and they authorize another five million, but that five million doesn't kick in until after they, they found other sources of financing. In the least surprising story of the day, it now appears that that loan is going to go into default. They were supposed to start making loan repayments in September of 2021, last year. 
couldn't do it because the, the project's pretty much going nowhere. And so what they did is they got the city to delay the loan payments for, for a year. So you've pushed it back to September of 2022. Well, now the story is looking at default. Um, the Department of City Developments starting to tell the Common Council Zoning Neighborhoods Committee that, no, um, the, this loan it just looks like it's bad because, you know, the renovations have been delayed. They've done a little bit of stuff, but it's pretty much not going anywhere. First loan payment is $14,000 due September 1st, but uh doesn't appear that they're going to be able to make the payments. And now it looks like the city is going to be looking at foreclosure. Least surprising story of the day. This was always a deal that made absolutely no financial sense. But this is one of these situations, and has in the city of Milwaukee, people wanted it to work. People said, okay, this is, look, we, we've got this this underserved community here, and we're going to have this boutique hotel, and they're going to get $125 a night average for their rooms, and you're going to have this conference center, and there's all these events. It was always pie in the sky. Nobody you know, seriously wanted to say, okay, what are you really talking about? This this doesn't make any sense. I admit that COVID comes along, and that makes it even more difficult. But the bottom line was this was always a bad deal. It never, it was never going to work. And surprise follows surprise. $4 million later, it isn't working, and it looks like the city is going to have one of two choices, either start to foreclose on, on the building in an effort to try to get some of its money back or continue to go ahead hoping something's going to happen against hope when the indications are nothing's going to work out. They wanted it to work really, really badly, and so as a result, like $4 million in taxpayer money down the drain. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. You know, with, with the news that we were talking about a half hour ago, that Tony Dow of Leave it to Beavers passed away at the age of 77. And, of course... It, Look, I, I understand if you're in your twenties, like my, like Alex Crow is. He's like, no, I've never, I've never, I've heard of Leave It to Beaver, but I've never seen it. But if you're, you know, a little bit older, maybe a lot older, you, you, you kind of, you grew up with that show. And if you didn't, if you weren't watching it when it was on TV from 1957 to 1963, you were certainly watching it in, in reruns because just like. I know, just like Gilligan's Island and some of those shows from the 60s, they're, they're there forever. I mean, the, the same thing is true of um, you've got Gilligan's Island, you've got the old Adams family, you've got the Munsters. They're just doing a remake of that. Uh, the movie's coming out in a while. But for so many of these actors who play in the these really successful shows, they, they really do end up getting typecast. And, you know, some of them are, are able to overcome that. And it's never a bad thing, I guess, to be like a, a child star. And some of them are able to go on to successful careers as adults and all. But others are, are just, they're never able to, you know, get out of that. So for every, for, every, for example, Natalie Wood, who, you know, was a child star, did stuff like The Miracle on 34th Street, who then went on to be a big star. Elizabeth Taylor, who did National Velvet, and then, you know, as a kid, a movie star, and then went on to just a tremendous career as an adult. 
there there's a lot of these performers that just that they can't move past it and and tony dow would be one of those i think for his entire life he was wally and um ken osmond was, was who played eddie haskell he was always going to be eddie haskell he's 65 70 years old he's still you know eddie haskell and that's the same thing is true with jerry mathers who played the beaver and and i think you know some of them are able to embrace that and recognize that okay well you you can you can maybe make a living you know you can be doing supermarket openings and things like that and others can't i was just trying to think of you know some of the other child stars that really kind of that just sort of fell off the face of the map remember the partridge family and of course you had david cassidy who was the big musical star you had susan day who went on to you know have success as an adult actress in shows like la law but then there was danny bonaducci who played you know danny partridge and you know he's his life has been kind of like a, a train wreck. I think he's a disc jockey somewhere now. Yet all the Brady Bunch kids who, you know, no matter what they do, what, no matter what they do in later life, they're always going to be one of the Brady Bunch kids. Macaulay Culkin, you know, the, the Home Alone kid. You know, what he, that, you know, people will always say, okay, well, Macaulay Culkin, but they, you know, they don't think of him as an adult. It's going to be, I remember you when you were doing that stuff in Home Alone. Gary Coleman, remember Gary Coleman, um, Lindsay Lohan to an extent, you know, to another extent, even the, you know, uh, Daniel Radcliffe, who was Harry Potter, you know, he's kind of struggled, maybe not as much as some of the others to try to, you know, maintain an acting career when you're so very, very well known and well identified with that particular role. And I, I think that was always you know, an issue that was faced. Now, some people are able to get past it, like I say. I mean, you've got Judy Garland, of course, and uh, Jodie Foster, who, you know, had a lot of success as a child in like movies like Taxi Driver, and she's carved out her own career. But, boy, lots of them just, you know, you get typecast, and you're just never able to move beyond that. All right. Here is the story. Now, Milwaukee, to its credit, the Common Council, working with the police department, is trying to crack down on the scourge that is reckless driving. And I, you know, I, I, I respect that. And they're, they're doing things like, gee, let, let's put up, let's hire an artist to put up billboards or, or whatever. And let's, let's try to reconfigure the streets. And, and let's tow cars. And by the way, I'm all in favor of this, this policy they have of towing cars. Right now, if your car is unregistered, and you flee from the cops or get caught uh, driving 25 miles an hour more over the speed limit, they'll tow your car. When then you've got a you know you've got to pay to get it back. You've got to pay for the towing. You've got to show proof of proper registration and insurance and all that stuff. And I'm all in favor of that. Don't get me wrong. Matter of fact, I don't think it goes anywhere near far enough. I think that if you're driving an unregistered car, it should be towed regardless of whether you've fled from a police officer or, or not. But the latest thing, and there's a story in the local newspaper about this, um, the city of Milwaukee has now filed a civil lawsuit against what they argue is one of their worst repeat drivers. So they're, they're suing this guy. The target of the lawsuit is Anthony Sabaluski, 53, of Milwaukee. The complaint alleges that Sabaluski racked up, wait for this, 44 traffic-related citations in the city since 2017. 44 since 2017. 
So, okay, that's five years. That That's an average of almost nine traffic citations a year. Fourteen of those come in the first six months of 2022. The infractions from this year include four speeding violations, running a red light, unsafe passing on the right, and eight counts of operating a vehicle with a suspended license, suspended registration, or without insurance. Okay, so it's very, very clear that this guy is a complete and total menace. Speeding violations, this is just this year, and we're only in July, running a red light, unsafe passing on the right, operating a vehicle with a suspended license, suspended registration, or without insurance. Of course, who? what idiot would give this guy a driver's license? What idiot would extend insurance to this guy? And, of course, the registration is uh, suspended. He doesn't have a license. In February, Sabaluski was involved in a crash when he tried passing vehicles in a bus lane, the complaint said. In a two-week period in April, he was stopped twice for driving 20 to 30 miles an hour above the speed limit and was seen weaving in and out of traffic lanes. All right, so what they're doing is they're suing reckless drivers in an effort to try to get them to change their behavior. And it's apparently what they're asking. They will be suing him. They will be asking a judge to apparently, you know, order order him to drive better, I, I guess. And if he doesn't drive better, what's going to happen is that then he could be held in contempt of court. Okay, I, I understand this in, in theory, but I, I have a more fundamental question. What the hell is this guy doing on the road in the first place? I, I mean, seriously, he does not belong, in my opinion, in Milwaukee, in municipal court in Milwaukee. He doesn't belong in circuit court in Milwaukee defending against a civil lawsuit. He belongs behind bars, pure and simple. And if this means that we need to change the laws to criminalize this sort of behavior, then let's do it. Now, I, I candidly don't necessarily think you need to do it, but to me, this isn't, it's not, it's a waste of time to take him into civil court. What you need to do is you need to put him behind bars and keep him behind bars to protect the rest of us. And then when he gets out, if he gets back in a car without a driver's license and drives again, then you need to put him back in jail. I mean, seriously, what's wrong? What's wrong with this story? 44 traffic-related citations in the city since 2017. The guy is a menace. He has demonstrated he's a menace, and he has demonstrated that he doesn't give a rat's rump about any of the rest of us who might happen to be driving on the same road that he's there when he's behaving in this fashion. Do we have to wait until he actually hits and kills somebody before we finally say, okay, you're you're going to prison, and now you're going to prison for 35 years? When you have a record like this, this should be a crime. He should be prosecuted, and he should be put in prison. And again, if the district attorney's office or the city attorney's office feels that they don't have enough leeway with criminal charges, well, it's time for the Governor Tony Evers and the Republican legislature to wake up and criminalize this sort of behavior. Stop fooling around and dancing around the edges. Doesn't a guy like this belong in prison? 
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line because nothing else is going to work. That's just the reality. And sooner or later, he's going to kill somebody and then he's going to go to prison. But by that time, it's going to be too darn late. 855-616-1620. Why are we not incarcerating people who get behind the wheel of a three, four, five thousand pound vehicle and drive in this particular fashion? 855-616-1620. I think jail is the answer and it's the only answer. What do you think? One of our listeners texts in and says, well, there's not enough room in jail for this type of offender, to which my response is, then you need to build more jails. Because, okay, 44 separate traffic violations since 2017, including reckless driving. He's driving without insurance. He's driving without a license. He's speeding. He's blowing through red lights. You know, sure, as night follows day, that sooner or later, he's going to hit and kill somebody. And that person's going to be dead. And then at that point, we're going to say, okay, well, now you've got to go to jail for 15 or 20 years. Well, why do we have to wait till he kills somebody? Once you have demonstrated a complete and total disregard for everyone else, shouldn't we be intervening earlier? And I'm sorry, you get behind the wheel of a car, three, 4,000 pounds, however much it is, you drive 75 miles an hour and you blow through red lights or whatever, you, you are a menace just as much as if you pull out a gun and start shooting on Water Street into a crowd, we don't allow that. Why do we allow chronic reckless drivers to be on the streets? Let's start with Tim. Tim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. That's a great question. Why? <laughs> I drive uh, I drive truck for a living in a four-state area, and what I witness on a daily basis, uh, you just wouldn't even believe it. I mean, you just wouldn't believe what I see on a daily basis. And that includes all these uh, NASCAR drivers that are out there going 100 and some miles an hour crossing three lanes of traffic at one time. Right. I mean, it's absolute insanity. Right. And of course, so I couldn't agree more. Yeah. No, thanks for calling him. And of course, like I say, this is predictable. OK, I'm not saying, oh, the guy gets caught for. Uh, OK, speeding. And so automatically you're going to send him to jail. OK, that, that's not what I'm arguing, but. Somewhere between, hey, you've gotten your first, you've got a valid driver's license, you've just gotten your first speeding ticket, and you've got 44 tickets over the course of the last five years. You're driving without insurance, you're driving without a license, you're driving in a car that isn't registered or the registration suspended, you're driving, you know, you're blowing through red lights, you're passing cars on the right, you're creating accidents. Somewhere between that and, hey, I just got a speeding ticket for going 15 miles an hour over the limit, you, you have to have a happy medium and that happy medium is I, I don't know maybe after five maybe after 10 certainly after 20 examples you've got to realize that we've got to get the guy off the street now what the city of milwaukee is doing this is a symbolic thing that to me is going to accomplish absolutely nothing when they catch this guy after a certain point what they need to do is take him out of the car put the bracelets on him and send him off and then he needs to be prosecuted and if you need if the city attorney's office or the da's office think we need a change in the laws and you need laws to be more clear as to what you know what the penalties are for this type of conduct fine i'm the will i'm willing to advocate for this and my guess is i can have no trouble finding at least a majority of republicans in the legislature who will gladly vote for this because we shouldn't have to wait till somebody dies and you know darn well that's what's going to happen robbie robbie you're on wtmj good afternoon Good afternoon. How are you today? I'm doing splendid. What do you think? 
there isn't a doggone thing going to happen because Wisconsin is one of the only states, if not the only state, that you do not have to have a driver's license to purchase a motor vehicle and then, of course, register it and get tags on it, if you would even go so far, legally. And you can do that time after time after time. Nothing happens until that law is changed. Robbie, thanks for the call. I mean, there's no question that, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about with unregistered vehicles. I, I... I don't know why we don't just tow every unregistered vehicle. You know, you, you're driving, you're driving a car, and you you get pulled over, and the car isn't registered. Why do we allow just people to to drive off? Why why don't we just say, okay, sorry, car's not registered. Oh, I'm sorry, officer, I made a mistake. Well, I understand that, but here's the deal: tow trucks coming. This is the deal. You can pick up your car down at the city impound lot. You're going to have to pay the tow fee. You're going to have to prove that the car is registered you're going to have to prove that you have insurance and then you can get back in your vehicle again to me it's just it's just so plainly simple that's clear now it's different again i if you're driving a registered car and they say oh, show me the proof of insurance well well i'm i'm insured with so and so i just don't have the card with me i understand in that situation okay well we're going to give you 48 hours and you can come down and you can show us the insurance card and you can prove that cuz sometimes people don't have it so i'm not being a complete hard guy on this but you know, most of the people that are driving without around with unregistered vehicles and uninsured vehicles, they're doing it not because they made a mistake. They're doing it because they don't care. They don't care. And they know that for them, there is absolutely no consequence. So, again, I appreciate that they're filing this lawsuit. I don't know where it ultimately goes. So you, you have the guy declared a nuisance and then he gets back behind the wheel of the car and then you find him in contempt of court. Why should you have to go through this kabuki dance? Why don't we just simply say, all right, enough is enough, and after you get caught driving without a license three times, or whatever the number might be, boom, you know, you're, you're, you're going to jail. And if you're caught without a driver's license after three or four times and you're caught driving recklessly, boom, you're going to jail for a longer period of time, period. Case closed. Why do we wait till they kill people out on the streets to do it? Because, like I say, you know that's where this is leading. Alex, did you see the video of the interaction between the Green Bay police officer and A.J. Dillon at the soccer game on Saturday? I did. For people not familiar, it, it, there's a rain delay. There's lightning and stuff, so they're, they're, they're killing time before mm-hmm. the, the game resumes. And some of the security guards, see, they're A.J. Dillon, who's become one of the most popular Packers, he's in the stands, and the security guys bring him down, and they want him to do a Lambo leap. So he's mm-hmm. asked to come onto the field, and there's a Green Bay police officer who apparently doesn't get the memo and starts screaming at him and grabs him and pushes him. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the Green Bay Police Department now is saying that their, their professional standards are going to review it. For his part, um, A.J. Dillon is like, I'm, I'm cool. It, it wasn't that, that big a yeah. deal. What did you think about the officer? I thought it was a bit of an aggressive action yeah. to be taking right off the bat. But, uh, again, I guess if you don't know what's going on, you just see someone running into the stands. But I think you would – every other officer near you is just kind of relaxed at that point. I and think the, you'd and realize the security guards are with him. Yeah, and yeah. that's it. I, 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 I mean, I, I mean, A.J. Dillon was very cool about it. And mm-hmm. It's like, look, I, I, you know, it's, it's no big deal. It was just a miscommunication. But um, that's always going to be the guy that, like, grabbed and pushed A.J. Dillon. And it's kind of <laughs> like, you know, maybe uh, before you got 
physical with him, maybe yeah. you should have just asked a couple questions. I think you're right. AJ Dillon handled it fantastically, yep. tweeting out like thanks to the officers that uh, you know keep us safe during the game. I think you're right though. If anybody doesn't have to worry about security during a Packers game, it's AJ Dillon who can run over anyone, but is also like you said the most popular man in Wisconsin almost at this point. The way he's been handling himself. Well, the interesting thing about that is okay. So AJ Dillon comes down with security people, you know, and they ask to do the Lambo leap, and the guy gets physically like police officer. He gets gets physical with him. All right, I've got this posted. I told the story yesterday. Earlier on that day, there was a streaker, a naked guy who who was in the same bar I was in on Sunday afternoon. Oh. And this guy, oh, you didn't hear me tell the story. I've got it up on Twitter. No, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I go in for people who weren't listening. I mean, I, I, I play golf on Sunday with a bunch of guys, and they know every dive bar in Ozaki County. So we walk into this place, and the, the bartender's, Jeff, I was hoping you were going to come in today. The guy that got arrested for streaking, he said, he's going to be here in a few minutes. His girlfriend is, is down there. And, you know, and they were telling me the, the story. And soon enough, the guy walks in a little bit later, 33 <laughs> years old, you know, charged with lewd and Civious behavior in yeah. a public place and indecent exposure and things like that. Twenty three hundred dollars in in fines. You know, mm. went went up on vacation, coming back on probation. But he he's running naked all across the field, and, and nobody's near him. And I'm thinking you're you're jumping on AJ Dillon, yeah. you know, who's with the security guys. Very true. Very true. Yeah. It would never. I, you know, I was thinking. You know, I was talking about that. The guy blew a a point two nine. So the legal limit is point zero eight. So he's like almost four times the legal <laughs> limit. I, I don't know about you, Alex, but even in my younger days, there's, I could not get to. I could not get to a point two nine. I would be passed out and throwing up way I, before that. I mean, not only that, but then to still be able to physically run across the field after uh, putting that much booze down. That's something that would uh, be what, another feat in and of itself. Well, he wasn't. He wasn't. Uh, inhibited by clothes you know so at least there was that the story that the the girlfriend says is apparently the his his last words were do you have bail money and then and then she was like why and then next thing you know he's out on the field and and he's running those are the words every woman's looking to hear isn't it don't you have bail money hold my hold my beer watch this you know and it's just kind of huh all right um when we come back well, um, he's coming to Milwaukee. He's coming to Waukesha. Will it make any difference? Stick around. Now, every day, it just, it just gets crazier and crazier on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Here, here's the story. Dri- here's the headline, local paper. Driver of car carrying a gunshot victim collides with pole the car rolls over, leaving four people seriously injured. Okay, there's a lot of stuff going on here. A driver lost control of a car while carrying a gunshot victim to the hospital. And police say four people were seriously injured, including the shooting victim. A 26-year-old Milwaukee man was shot around 3.40 p.m. in the 2300 block of North 15th Street, suffering life-threatening injuries. So, again, you know, we, we talk about the city of Milwaukee. And you know, some people say it's the wild, wild west. I, I say it's not the wild, wild west. The wild, wild west was not this bad. So it's 3.40 in the afternoon. 26-year-old guy gets shot. All right. So instead of calling the cops, instead of calling 911, the guy who's shot with life-threatening injuries gets in a car with three other people. Presumably he's bleeding or whatever. And they head to the hospital. The driver 
loses control of the car, strikes a pole, and rolls the car. The driver, 54-year-old Milwaukee man, two Milwaukee women ages 20 and 27 who were passengers, are all seriously hurt, and all of them are now taken to the hospital. I mean, it's just sort of like a Rube Goldberg act of violence. you get got a guy that gets shot at 3.40 p.m., life-threatening injuries. Here, get me to the hospital quick. We're not going to call 911 or anything like that because, I don't know, if you stay on the scene, you might have to explain how it was that you got shot. So a bunch of people pile into the car. You're driving like a bat out of you-know-where, ram into a pole, and now you got four people, including the gunshot victim, who are heading to the hospital. And these are the same streets that all of us drive on. Okay. Yesterday, during the 2 o'clock hour of the program, um, Rebecca Clayfish was in studio. We did an hour-long interview. That's uh, posted on our website. It's also posted on my Twitter account, at JeffWagner620. And we had a lengthy discussion covering the the whole waterfront of of issues. A Marquette University Law School poll taken a couple weeks ago shows her and Tim Michaels in a, a deadlock. I will tell you this. My sense is right now that that Clayfish, Republican voters are coming home and Clayfish is ahead. Not saying that she's going to win, but my sense is that she is ahead. I think for anybody who watched or saw the Republican debate on Sunday night, and admittedly probably didn't have a huge audience, but there's been a lot of talk about it afterwards, um, Rebecca Clayfish was the clear and decisive winner of, of that. I think, you know, if you listen to her, she has... She, I mean, look, she, she was in state government for, you know, eight years as lieutenant governor. She clearly understands how state government works, and she's got, you know, defined proposals that she's ready to move with on, on day one. Michaels, on the other hand, was, was kind of like sound bites, and, and that's, that may or may not be good. That, that plays well in 30 and 60 second ads, but, you know, whether or not that's going to carry the day, the big advantage, I think that Rebecca Clayfish has right now is the fact that she has been aggressively campaigning, door-to-door campaigning, you know, going to the Lincoln Day dinners and meeting with people. And she's been doing that for the better part of the last two years. She has an organization. So primary elections are, are based on on voter turnout and, you know, who which candidate can get their, their voters out. And I think Rebecca Clayfish has an organization that she can draw on. Michaels, Michaels doesn't. Now, that's not to say that the, you know, the, the millions of dollars in TV spending and the I'm an outsider and business guy measures might not resonate. But if you were asking me who I, I think is ahead at this point in time and who's going to be a better, do a better job of turning out voters, I think it's going to be Clayfish. And it could go either way. I'm not saying that it's in the bag at all for one candidate or another. So, In that mix, here's the breaking news story. Former President Donald Trump plans to visit Wisconsin to campaign for Tim Michaels. Now, you never know when when Trump shows up in a place supposedly to campaign for a candidate. Most of the times he goes off on his own grievances about the 2020 election. But he is going to be appearing in Wisconsin to campaign for Tim Michaels. Um, let's see. Trump plans to hold a rally at the Waukesha County Fairgrounds on August 5th. August 5th is a week from Friday. The primary election is two weeks from today, August 9th. Um, so I, I guess 
he's coming here and he's going to try to, you know, rally the troops to go out and to vote for Tim Michaels. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Donald Trump has always been a controversial figure. I don't think he's ever, I, I don't think he's ever been more controversial probably than he is now. It's a Republican primary. He has endorsed Tim Michaels. He's coming to campaign for Michaels. Is, is this going to ultimately be a positive or a negative for Tim Michaels? Rebecca Clayfish announced today that Ted Cruz had endorsed her, but Ted Cruz is, is no Donald Trump. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is, is Trump coming to campaign for Michaels? Is that going to be a good thing or could it backfire? 855-616-1620. We discuss. <laughs> Eight five five six one six one six twenty. If you're just tuning in, the Tim Michaels campaign has just announced that Donald Trump is going to be coming to Waukesha for a rally at the Waukesha County Fairgrounds for Tim Michaels on Friday, August fifth, a week from this Friday. That's a couple days before the August ninth primary. Is this going to help or is it going to hurt? Let's start with Bob in Greenfield. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, I, I think it'll help Michaels. Uh, Trump is still, I think, polling as the uh, favorite for um, running for president of the Republicans. Uh, Trump has uh, a lot of uh, loyal voters, I mean, diehards, almost radicalized white people that uh, support him and will come out. And um, I, I just don't see how it could be a negative. I mean, Trump will bring all kinds of um, attention to uh the Michaels campaign. And I just saw today Michaels had a couple of new ads, a couple of attack ads. So he's stepping up his game. I mean, obviously, you got to have the uh, people to get the vote out. That's what uh, Hillary Clinton found when she uh, lost mm-hmm. to Obama. But um, so you think, think it's going to be uh, a positive? Okay. Well, thanks. I guess time time will tell. I mean, I guess you're you're right. The Trump is is popular among certain segments i guess the question is does that translate into you know votes for tim michaels and what's the downside because uh, donald trump is also strikingly unpopular among large groups of of people as well and then the other question is do endorsements end up mattering at all anyways and of course with donald trump you also never know what you're going to get like i say a lot of times he appears at these rallies and that that the candidate that he's there for is just kind of an an, an afterthought and and what you have more is donald trump railing about you know, decertifying the election and how he just was messed over and should be still in the White House. 855-616-1620. Julie in Kenosha. Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. What do you think of this? Is this going to help or hurt the Michaels campaign? To be honest, I think it might hurt Michaels' campaign slightly. Um, even the the most conservative of Republicans that I know are fed up with Donald Trump. They're fed up. Um, now, you're always going to have your Trumpers. I get that. But when you're looking at the global community of Republicans, um, people are sick of it. And um, I have to say, Clayfish has done a wonderful job standing on policy for her campaign. Yeah, um, th- thanks for call, Julie. Well, there, there's no question. I think Rebecca Clayfish 
was the clear winner in the debate last Sunday. Now, you know what, and, and I think, the, how can I say this? I think demonstrated a, a much clearer grasp of, I, I don't know the particulars of different policy things than Tim Michaels did, but that's that's not saying that, that Michaels would be unsuited to be governor. I, again, I don't think you bring or ask Donald Trump to come in unless you perceive that you're, um, behind or in a very, very close race, because let's face it, it's going to be controversial. And the other the other reality of it is if you go on and you win the primary and you've decided that you're completely jumped in, you've jumped in bed with Donald Trump, that's going to make it more difficult not to get hardcore Republican support, but it's going to make it more difficult, you know, in a general election where, let, let's face it, in Wisconsin, these are always going to be close races, and it's always going to be 52-48-53-47, and uh, the races are decided by turnout, and they're decided by, in many cases, some of the independent Voters who I think in this in this state tend to lean more to the conservative side, but but nevertheless are willing to go the other way. Uh, let's talk to Brad. Brad, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi, Brad. You're on the air. Hi. Yeah, I think uh, the endorsement by Trump will help Michaels, but I think the Democrat crossover, especially from the women, is going to help Rebecca win. It'll be interesting to see. Thanks, sir. I mean, I, I don't know. You, the, the problem, and oh, by the way, this is something that I always remind people about in a primary election, and it was the, the clerk of courts reminded me today. You know, you do not have to declare whether you are a Republican or a Democrat when you vote in the primary, and and, and all the races are on one ballot, but you you can't vote in both. So, for example, you can't vote in the Democrat Senate primary race. Um, say you want to vote for Alex Lazary or Sarah Godlewski or whatever, and then turn around and vote in the Republican gubernatorial race. You have to either vote in the Republican races or the Democrat races. Since there is that contested Senate primary, I'm, I'm not sure you're going to get a huge crossover effect. I'm just not sure that that's going to be the case. To me, again, it's all going to be about turnout. I think Rebecca Clayfish has a much stronger organization than Tim Michaels has, but Tim Michaels has an enormous amount of money, and clearly by bringing Donald Trump in, what you're hoping is that Trump is going to fire up the, the, the Trump supporters and that they will turn out en masse and they will vote for Tim Michaels. The, the risk, again, of that is that Donald Trump continues to be very, very, you know, polarizing um, in this particular situation. Jeff, Trump definitely brings energy to the Michaels campaign, and I will be there. Um, despite what you might think, not all of Trump's supporters are radicals. Well, I don't think all of the Trump supporters are, are radicals, but, I mean, as I've said, I think Donald Trump's demonstrated he's unfit to ever be the president of the United States again. Jeff, Trump is the reason I probably won't vote for Michaels. Jeff Trump draws huge crowds. He has energy and gusto. Pretty much everything Joe Biden doesn't. I believe it will help Tim Michaels' cause. Um, Jeff, Waukesha County and Republican voters north and west will do anything for Trump. The only vote uh, hope Rebecca has is independence. Democrats are voting for the U.S. Senate seat. Um, I don't know. Jeff, you've always been anti-Trump. Well, I I don't know that I've always been anti-Trump, but I'm I'm definitely 
I'm definitely a never-Trumper at this point after his behavior following the election. I plan on going to the rally in Waukesha, and I will vote for Tim Michaels. Um, Clayfish is just a remnant of the old Scott Walker regime. We don't need that. That's an interesting point. A rec- remnant of the old Scott Walker regime. The Scott Walker regime is one of the most rev- instituted, some of the most revolutionary changes for the good in, in Wisconsin in, in, I don't know, maybe in decades. I mean, I, I remember the, the fight over Act 10. I remember the courage it took for Republican legislators and the governor and the lieutenant governor and all to, to go out and, and to endorse this, this, I think, you know, major restructuring of the way we approach government. And I think it's very, very difficult to argue 10, 11 years after Act 10 that it hasn't substantially benefited the state. So just a remnant of the old Scott Walker regime. Well, the, the old Scott Walker regime it did a lot of really good things for the state of Wisconsin. How quickly we forget. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Well, if you're not able to go to the Donald Trump-Tim Michaels rally coming up um, a week from Friday, don't, don't worry because you have another chance to see former President Trump. Um, the, the more details are coming out about the American Freedom Tour, which is going to be at UW-Milwaukee Panther Arena two weeks after the, the, the Trump appearance for Michaels, that's going to be August 20th. It will be interesting to see after stumping for Tim Michaels if if Michaels loses the primary. Now, I'm not predicting that that's going to happen, but will be interesting to see whether if if that were to happen, what that does to the, the gloss of the Trump reputation. Anyhow, he's going to be back in Milwaukee for this American Freedom Tour. And I, I'm just kind of looking at the pricing um, uh, for for example. You can be a, a presidential <clears throat> delegate. That's that's nineteen hundred ninety-five dollars a piece. So, assuming you take your spouse, that's you're looking at four grand there. You can be a congressional delegate. That's that's fifteen ninety-five. So that's only thirty-two hundred. You can be an ambassador. That's twelve hundred ninety-five dollars. And if you buy one, you get one free. You can be a chamber delegate. That's nine hundred ninety-five dollars. Buy one, get one free. You can be a delegate for four hundred ninety-five dollars. You get seating in the delegate section. You could be a VIP for three hundred ninety-five bucks. That sounds like a bargain. There, get to be a sitting in the VIP section. The Liberty. If you were going to want seating in the Liberty section, that's 195 bucks. But then you get you buy one, you get one free. You can be an Eagle for um, 95 bucks. You can be a citizen. That's $55 to be a citizen, and then it kind of goes on and on and on. And depending on where you are, you, you get different things. Also, you can be a patriot. That You have to click to contact us to find out how much that is. I'm told I think that's... I think that's $3,995 a piece. So assuming you decide to go with your spouse, that would be about $8,000. So there, there's definitely some, some costs there. If you want to, if you want to see him for free, you can kind of go out to the Tim Michaels event or, if you have, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars just sitting around, you can go to the UWM Panther Arena on Saturday, August 20th for part of the American Freedom Tour. I, I will say this, and I've said it before. Robin Williams used to always talk about how cocaine was God's way of telling you you have too much money. With, with all due respect, 
if if you can drop nineteen hundred and ninety five dollars for seating in the presidential section, that's probably God way, God's way of telling you that you have too much money. All right, we're we're, we're doing this all week, and it's actually a very very cool. Um, contest and an opportunity. Jim Ursay, who's the owner and CEO of the NFL's Indianapolis Colts, he's he's quite a guy. And he's bringing items from the Jim Ursay collection, and that is a renowned assemblage of iconic artifacts from rock music, American history, and pop culture. And he's bringing all that to Chicago on August 2nd, which is a week from today, at the Aeon Grand Ballroom, which is on Navy Pier. Um, it's going to also include a performance by the Jim Ursay Band, and they're actually quite good. For official contest rules, visit WTMJ.com. And you might say, Jeff, what are you talking about with a contest? Well, each day this week, I've got a pair of tickets to this show to give away. And let's do that right now. Caller number 12, 855-616-1620. Caller number 12, wins a pair of tickets to the concert and the tickets to see the whole um, assemblage of iconic artifacts. You get to go to Navy Pier. How cool will that be? Caller number 12, 855-616-1620. Welcome back. Okay, we have our winner for the tickets for today. So, oh, I'm sorry, you're, you're still figuring out who the winner is? All right. We um, we will be giving away tickets to this event in Chicago next week, you know, all, all this week. So be sure to keep listening for more opportunities to win. I'm still, I'm still, I'm still back with the idea. It's kind of interesting to me that Donald Trump is coming to Waukesha, and he's really putting himself on the line because if we get into a situation where he doesn't win, uh, that is, Michaels doesn't win. It's it's going to be pretty much a, a blow to the the Donald Trump you know machine. Now, I'm not predicting that Michaels is going to win, but if he doesn't win, and I think that's certainly a possibility, you, you wonder how Trump is going to handle that. All right, let us completely and totally switch gears. Generation Z, known as the Zoomers. Kind of like my generation is known as the the baby boomers. Generation Z is people that are born essentially from the mid-1990s, like 1995 through 2012. So at the, the young age, if you're a Zoomer, the young age of Zoomers are age 10, and the older age of Zoomers is kind of around 27 or something. So they're just starting to you know reach their, their peak. Every one of these generations, whether it's Generation X or Y or Z or Baby Boomers, have have sort of different characteristics. And one of the things that is emerging from the the Zoomers is the fact that, um, well, here's a story in the New York Times. Nearly a third of Generation Z is living at home and they plan to stay at home. So there's this analysis courtesy of Credit Karma, which is a personal financial platform, and it goes out and it surveys a, a number of of Zoomers who are starting to reach adulthood. Obviously, we're not talking about teenagers here, but what they're finding is that number of Americans in this category who had moved out are now moving back in with their parents or their grandparents. And 
what this study is finding out is that more and more of these younger people who have are living at home with the family or have moved back in are now viewing this as what we will describe a permanent housing solution, even in the midst of a uh, strong job market. So even though you have these people who are in their like their mid twenties or whatever, they've now they've moved out. They're working, but what they've decided to do is is they want to live at home. Our number is eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about this? And and, and it just maybe this is a generational thing. I I had a very very good relationship with my parents. My mom in particular. Mom was was wonderful, and but I had a good relationship with my parents in general. Nevertheless, um, as soon as I got out of college and I came back here, and I, I had like nine months off between college and, and law school, and right after I graduated from college, I, I, I moved back in with with my folks, and then I started the, the process of going out and, and trying to find, I was working, and I went out to try to find a, a place to live. And it wasn't because it was awful at my parents' house or anything like that. It was just that I was 22 years old, and the last thing I wanted to do in the world is be living with, with mom and dad. That was just the, the reality. So I, I moved out, found a roommate, moved out, and then just never moved back in again. It wouldn't have occurred to me at the age of 25 or 26 or 27 to move back in unless uh, unless I, I guess if if I had lost my job and I had no money was getting ready to be evicted and that was uh, a place of last resort to go back to move in and live with mom and dad and again I I, I love my mom and dad that this was not an issue it was just that I, I mean I didn't want to live at home I liked being on my own I, I didn't want to be you know spending I don't know when I'm 25 or 26 or 27 years old. I didn't want to be spending time in my old the bedroom that I grew up in, or living in my parents' basement or something like that. I, I thought that this was kind of a rite of adulthood, and once you moved out, you, know, you, you kind of I can't imagine going back again unless there were some sort of situation where you, you lose your job, you can't afford to, to live there, and so you've got to move in as, as a last resort. But that's not what this study is saying. This study is saying there's people who just voluntarily decided, hey, I'm going to move back in, and I'm going to have a permanent relationship. This this is where I'm planning to be for the next 5 or 10 or 15 years. Our number is 855-616-1620. Would you have done that? And, and parents out there, you know, all right, you send the kid off to school, all right, what do you think about them coming back and living at your house for, I don't know, till they're, they're 30 or till they're 35 or, or till they're 40? 855-616-1620. I can tell you, and I think my, my parents like me a lot. I think my parents love me. I don't think they would have been thrilled if I had moved back into my, my old room and planned to stay. And I sure as heck, that wasn't what I wanted to do. We discuss in just a minute, 855-616-1620. And yet that's what Generation Z, the Zoomers, are doing in huge numbers. They're back. Yeah, this story, nearly a third of Generation Z, the Zoomers, and we're, we're, the Zoomers are like at the low end, it's age 10. And at the high end, it's like age 27 or something like that. But nearly a third of Zoomers who have, have moved out are now moving back in with their parents. And they, they plan to to stay. 855-616-1620. To, to me, this is absolutely 
mind-boggling. Because, again, I had a good relationship with my parents, but I, as soon as I got back from college, I, I for just a variety of reasons, I, I didn't want to be living at, in my parents' house in the bedroom that I was in in high school and in middle school. I was ready to get on and, and be a, a grown-up. Jeff, I love it's my favorite one of the day so far. I love my parents a lot, but I would have rather slept in my car than live with them as an adult. Independence cannot be overrated. Jeff, out of the military, went home until my goods made it back home, could not wait to get out. Three months at age 23, great to have a place to rest, but we both wanted our space. Jeff, I'm 65, but when I turned 18, my mom told me I could stay, but my rent would be $700 a month and half the utilities. Apartment rent was 200 bucks a month. I took that as her telling me it was time to grow up. Jeff, um, I say only if they pay their fair share of household expenses and respect the parental house rules. Okay, see that, see that's part of the thing, and I, I don't disagree with any of that, but you know, when I was 22, 23, 24 years old, I wanted to set my own rules. I, I think that's perfectly legitimate. Mom and dad have their own house rules, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not 15 anymore. I, I want to, I want to decide when I want to go out. I want to decide when I want to come back in. I want to decide, you know, all these different things. If goodness forbid, I, I might, you know, meet, I don't know, a member of the opposite sex and want to bring her home. I, I, you know, hey, we're going back to my, my, my parents' house. I don't think so. Um, Jeff, those Zoomers must enjoy that twin bed. <laughs> you know, what can you say? Um, Jeff, I have a 26-year-old son, and he told me this. Uh, if he told me this, I would say, sorry, I turned your room into an office. Jeff, absolutely not. I'm Gen X. I feel that parents letting them back in the house is hurting them, not helping them. Jeff, my son moved home from college, paid his loans and saved. He's now purchasing his first home at 27. Student debt is horrible. Um, since uh, I need to save for my retirement, Gen X could not pay for kids' college. Um, and, and see, I, and I guess I understand that. If, if it's a temporary sort of thing, what what this story is saying is a lot of people have just decided, no, this is where I'm going to be. I'm Mom and Dad, I'm, I'm here for the duration. Julie, Julie, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. I think that their parents should charge them rent and give them chores to do. They could put the rent um, unbeknownst to the kids in a savings account and give it back to them later to buy a house or whatever they need it for. But they need to establish some type of responsibility. If you were if you were the kid, the, 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 you know, say you're, you're 25 years old, would you want to live with your parents? <laughs> That's the thing I can't get past. And oh, I don't. No. Yeah. Love, my, no, yeah. love my parents, and my kids didn't want to either. No, there's a time they should be on their own. Yeah, and I mean, again, and again, I understand emergency situations. You've lost your job Correct. or or whatever, and you know, but but yeah, I mean, I'm sitting, and I, I don't disagree with what you said at the beginning. You give them chores and stuff, but it's like, okay, if I'm 25 years old and I'm I'm in law school or I've graduated from college and I'm working, with all due respect, I, I don't want mom saying, okay, now you got to take out the garbage every day, and then you got to do the dishes, and I expect you to you know to, to vacuum the living room and stuff. I I just I don't want my mom giving me chores. When I'm 24 or 25 years well, old. They should have some responsibility. Yes. I oh, mean, sure. if they lived in an apartment, they'd have to do that. Oh, sure. I don't. Maybe we just you know, agree on the rent. Because it is expensive for kids nowadays. The rents are atrocious. Buying a house is very expensive. But I think they should have some responsibility. You're just 
enabling them, unless they're, like you said, there are special circumstances. Right, in an emergency situation. Yeah, thanks for calling. Jeff, I think it's a terrible idea for 25-year-olds to live with mom or grandma. This is the time you begin your own life and start to figure out what you want to do. Well, that was certainly... You know, my case, um, Jeff, um, we're living with mom and dad after college, except right after college for a year. My kids were gone within two years of college graduation. Yeah, they, I, I guess, I, again, I understand, okay, you've just got out of college and you're, you're trying, you're starting a job, you've got no money or, or whatever, and you're trying to save up a little bit. Sure, yeah, stay at home for a little bit of time. But for me, the clock would have been ticking. <laughs> that would have been kind of it. It's like, okay, it, it's one thing if you want to stay here for a little while. But, you know, I I want to take your old bedroom. You know, honey, I love you, but I want to take your old bedroom, and I want that to be the exercise room or mom's sewing room or, you know, I'm turning that into my man cave, and you you got to figure this out. And, no, you know, it's, it's one thing for a few months, but if you're thinking that this is going to be a long-term sort of situation, sorry, I, I think you're going to have to um, head it. Uh, Jeff, I never moved out of my parents' house and have just sold it after living there since 1960, my oldest adult son went with the house what a gift well you know it, it's interesting because in europe you know that that's how they do it because housing is so expensive in europe it's generational sort of thing you have grandpa and grandma and mom and dad and then you've got you know uh the grandchildren who are now married and you got like three generations that are in the same house i i guess that's europe i'm, I'm just and i am trying to picture my wife saying hey hon we're gonna we're going to move in with my parents, and we're going to live there for the next five, six, seven years. I don't think that would have flown very well. Just saying. They're mad in Europe. Okay, so the Packers are playing the New York Giants in, in London at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. That's Tottenham Hotspur is one of the English Premier League soccer teams. And they're playing in London on October 9th. This is an extremely hot ticket because this is the first time that, first of all, American football always sells out there when they do these games. But this is the first time the Green Bay Packers have ever played in London. So, all right, lots of people from all across Europe wanted to get tickets to the game. So here's the way the local newspaper is reporting us. Ticketmaster told fans via email that you should not, if you want tickets, there's going to be an online queue, an online line, um, but you, 9.30, 8.30 a.m., this would be London time, which is like 3.30 a.m. our time. And they said, okay, so here's the deal, 9.30 a.m., but don't, don't, Get, don't sign up, don't try to get in line online before 9.30 because if you do, and the tickets went on sale this morning, if you do, you'll be timed out. So you, you, don't, you don't have any chance of doing that. You will time out. 9.30 is when it opens, okay? So then apparently what happens is people who follow the rules, they, they line up at 9.30, they go on, and they find that the line was more than 100,000 people um, once they got there by 10 a.m. by 10 a.m. The, the event had completely and totally sold out. And this is like 80,000 seats. And on top of that, all these tickets are suddenly showing up on secondary sites. So the, the ticket brokers 
have this. I'm looking at some of the tweets here. Um, one person says, okay, when I signed up at 930, 166,000 people were in the line ahead of me. We took your advice, these are some of the tweets, the twi- to Ticketmaster, we took your advice and joined the line for Green Bay Packers tickets at the time your email said, only to find there were 125,000 people ahead of us. And so it goes on and on and on. But then again, the interesting thing is that, that again, it, it's all turning up on the secondary market. So what ended up happening is somehow the, the ticket brokers were able to get in early, or at least people who didn't want to go to the game were able to get in early. They were able to buy these tickets, and the, the true fans who followed the rules, well, you know, they ended up, you know, getting getting the shaft. Um, that's that's clear. Um, let's see. According to the papers I'm looking at, hospitality and corporate areas of the stadium were already spoken for, and only 50,000 tickets were expected to be on sale for each game at the stadium. There's another one. The Vikings and Saints are playing a week before that. So you got 50,000 tickets. So imagine that. There's 50,000 tickets there. You're told, don't line up till 930. You show up at 930 online. You're there, and you're already told that you're 143,000 people ahead of you. And then, again, you turn around and you start to see that the ticket brokers, the secondary sellers, they're now selling them for three, four, five, six, whatever they can get times face value. You can understand how the the fans that have waited all this time might be a tad upset. Cheap beer, discount cigarettes, what could be better? All right, interesting story to me in the Wall Street Journal. We, We know... Inflation is bad. I, I, I was driving to work today. I saw, gosh, I, I, one of the gas stations I passed, uh, gasoline is down to $4.16. And I understand the Biden administration is taking victory laps. Hey, it's down to $4.16. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, talk to me once it's two fifty. i I'm not going to applaud gasoline that's over $4 a gallon, but I acknowledge that's better than $5.08. But, but here's one of the things that's going on. Consumer prices rising just out, out of this world. We're, Thursday, they're going to announce that we are in a recession, uh, two consecutive quarters of declining economic growth. So we're, we're going to be in a recession. Consumer prices in the U.S. rose at a 9.1 annual rate in June. That's the fastest pace in nearly 41 years. Consumer demand collided with supply shortages and all these types, type of things. And Costs are going up. I'm not telling anybody anything that you don't know. You go into the grocery store and stuff that you bought, you see what we call shrinkflation. You know, it used to be a 32-ounce jug of Gatorade. Now it's 28 ounces of Gatorade, and it probably it does it costs as much as the 32-ounce jug did or maybe even more. You know, Same thing is true with pretty much anything that you buy. So people are trying to figure out how to cope with that. So the headline in the Wall Street Journal talks about one of the things that people are are doing, and that is when it comes to lots of items, they're not necessarily buying less of stuff, but they are switching beer, they're switching choices. So for example, the, the beers that have been making the biggest gains this year are the cheap beers the disc by that I mean the, the discount beers get this um bush light ice house and Milwaukee's best ice 
Um, there, the sales of what they call economy beer has increased 5.4% from the same period, you know, last year. And so, um, you know, Anheuser-Busch is saying, you know, Bush Light, which is the best-selling economy beer brand in the U.S., they say that that's become, you know, incredibly popular. They say the brand is most popular in Wisconsin and the fastest growing in Tennessee. That's Bush Light. And so they're, they're saying that um, in states that there's a handful of states that are, are generating all this revenue. And it's because it's it's cheaper. And they're saying they're finding the same thing is true when it comes to cigarettes. Now, I, I've never been a cigarette smoker, so I'm quickly beyond my depth here. But they're saying, like, Marlboro, which is the market-leading cigarette brand, is losing U.S. market sale. And some of the, these discount cigarette brands are 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 picking up all the pace as things as people are, are switching to kind of like the, these off-brand cigarettes. And there's stories about how people are going in and saying, hey, hey look, um, you know, I, I don't want to pay what you're charging for Marlboro cigarettes. Give me brand X or give me brand Y. People are deciding to go cheaper. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you changing your buying habits because of inflation and costs and what's going on in the economy. And in this case, I, I don't necessarily, I don't want to talk about buying less. I want to talk about buying differently. Instead of buying the name brand beer, hey, I'm a, I, I'm a, I, you know, I always drink X type of beer. I, I love Corona beer or whatever, but if I can get Bush Light cheaper, I'm going to drink the cheaper beer. Hey, I, I'm used to uh, buying this brand cigarette, but you know, I, I found that, okay, I don't want to pay full price for this. I'm looking for whatever's cheaper. Have you changed your brand choices at all? 855-616-1620. We discuss. Jeff, I, the, the texts we're getting are just great. Jeff, Bush Light has been my cheap beer brand since they quit making Kingsbury. Boy, I remember Kingsbury as well. Jeff, I switched to Bush Light a couple years ago. Cheaper and tastes just like Bud Light and better than Miller Light. Lots are doing that now. Price has gone up on Bush Light um, since all are doing that. Jeff, funny you bring up this topic because I went grocery shopping today and I thought how I've changed my habits, buying store brand mayo, peanut butter, and laundry detergent, amongst other items. I would have never done this in the past, but I have to... Um, now, Jeff, back in the 90s and early 2000s, you were able to purchase generic booze and cigarettes in Europe. These items were four times cheaper to purchase, but they were subsequently linked to serious health problems more than the authentic stuff normally causes. Jeff, um, uh, let's see, uh, shrink, uh, 855-616-1620. Jeff, Dollar General helps. I've been doing that more and more, and I've been changing to generic brands of products. I think there's a lot of that. Jeff, my philosophy is life is too short to drink cheap beer. Well, it's, I, I appreciate that. But what you're, you're seeing, and this is really something interesting that is going on in the economy and it's kind of demonstrating the haves and have nots because while the cheaper beers 
for example, are, are thriving. Again, the Ice House, the Bush Lights, etc. Not all beer drinkers are trading down. Sales of imported and super premium beers like Modelo Especial and Michelob Ultra are also growing. And so I, I think that one of the things that you take away from that is that inflation it impacts different people differently. Lower income consumers are, are changing their their buying habits and their shopping habits and, and becoming more price conscious while more affluent people continue to to spend um, freely. You know, the cigarette thing is interesting to me. And again, I'm, I'm not I've never been a smoker, so I, I don't really have a great frame of reference. But like I was saying earlier, Marlboro is the leading cigarette brand. They're losing U.S. market share. Uh, meanwhile, like, for example, discount cigarette maker Excalibur International, whatever that is, they're talking about how their company sales growth have accelerated this year. That company, I've never heard of these cigarette brands, 24 7 Edgefield and Burley, B-E-R-L-E-Y, in some places they sell for half as much as Marlboro's does. You know, um, wow. But, I mean, people are starting to do that. Jeff, um, if I want to find a bottle of Chianti, I'm going to buy it, not box wine. Well, I, yeah, I, I get that. But at the same time, I think what you're seeing is a lot of people are like that, and they're not going to make those changes, especially, hey, if, if you like your bottle of wine, you're going to buy your bottle of wine. But for a lot of people, it's like, well, I, I want a bottle of wine, but I can't afford to can't afford to drop $14, so I'm going to try to find the $7 version of it. Chuck says, Jeff, not only are people buying cheaper off-brands for a lot of things, but Aldi for the last two months have been swamped with people buying most food at a big percentage cheaper as well. Well, I think people are becoming a lot more price conscious. Jeff, you're talking about beer. I will not compromise on beer. Well, no, I I think that there's a lot of people that, that again, feel that way, but it depends in many respects on, on your ability to, to pay. And I think what you're starting to see is there's a lot of people out there um, who were brand loyal and, and have been, okay, I mean, you're, I, you fill in the blank, you know, you've been drinking whatever for, you know, the last 30 years. But what you're finding is, gee, I can, you know, a beer is a beer in many respects. And as long as it's cold, I go to the store. And if the difference is this is selling for $12.99 a case and I can get something else for $8.99 a case or a 12-pack or whatever, I'm, I'm going to go with the $8.99 for the 12-pack. And I'm going to try to figure out, you know, how to do this, um, you know, and a number of people I think are changing their habits. One of our texters says, "All these sell great stuff, and I can afford to shop anywhere." Jeff, um, my husband switched generic cigarettes, but he still stinks. Well, that's right. That, that's that's the whole other issue that you know maybe you know maybe inflation for those people who are looking for an excuse to quit smoking or to cut back smoking dramatically. Maybe the high cost of this stuff is, is one of the range. I, I've, I've never understood that. And I mean, I've said that before when we've done topics on smoking. I'm, I'm not here to be judgmental about that decision, but I mean, I, I know how expensive stuff has gotten. I always thought, you know, it, it was expensive years ago. And now, I mean, what is it, like seven, eight bucks a pack of cigarettes for something that's, you know, going to take years off your life? And again, I'm, I'm not lecturing. I'm just thinking, 
wow, you know, that that's that is a lot of money to spend. But admittedly, you know, I have my habits. Nobody's telling me, Jeff, you should be using generic golf balls instead of those Titleist Pro V ones that you hit and you're you're they're not they're really not helping you play any better. Come on, you know, let, let's face it. So, you know, we all have our different vices and we all have our preferences. But if you're seeing more and more discount beer on the shelves at liquor stores and in grocery stores, it's because more and more people are buying it, and that's because that's how a lot of people are coping with inflation.